0: Hey yeah, there. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing, Nick? Uh, doing well. Sorry about the technological differences there. Uh it's oh, just, not a problem. That's just how it goes sometimes with college radio. Hi, but, yeah. anyways, though, um, for my listeners out there, this is Brian Lapitan, singer for the legendary black metalers uh, NME from Seattle. Um, g- give me uh, a good introduction for my listeners out there.
1: I guess early. A lot of people would say Venom Ripoff, but not true. Uh, early black metal, American black metal, thrash, 1982 to about 86-ish. We started out as a band called Night Prowler. Um, they had a different singer, and then I joined up, and then we changed it to Enemy, and then changed the name to NME, and then the rest is history.
0: Thinking back when Unholy Death came out, what was like the energy at your shows like?
1: The energy was really different because uh, we had a, a lot of grungy little clubs down in Seattle. Didn't pretty much play anywhere but Seattle. Uh, a place called Gorilla Gardens was a big one, and owned by a, a Chinese restaurateur, I believe. But uh, it was a weird energy because a lot of people hated us a lot because of the, I guess, the extremism of the music because a, a lot of the people were doing it, uh, you know, the old-school style metal, traditional metal, or... Or Motley Crue style stuff, but our energy was good because we had all the punks in our corner and we had all the metalheads in our corner, and they all got along, which was for that time pretty rare. So, and the and the shows were really you know pretty crazy because back then you know we would just do whatever we wanted to, so we you know destroy the drums, uh, you know, throw mic stands into the crowd, whatever we wanted to do because we were just kind of making up our own rules as we
0: went. That's that's crazy, like. Also, just uh, thinking back on the 80s, how into tape trading were you guys? For our band, Kurt was our guitar player. The the leading
1: inspiration of the band, he pretty much took the tape trading to new levels. He was trading out of the country, um, pretty much to anybody that would listen, and even if they wouldn't listen, he'd still find a way for them to listen, because he believed in the music that much, so he made it happen. And... uh You know, that's why now I hear from people that, oh, yeah, we heard your music, you know, back when I was younger in Norway or something. And apparently those tapes got duped and bootlegged, and that's where they ended up. So I think that's how we kind of ended up getting a bit of a worldwide
0: reputation. Now, looking back, do you remember any real notable fans of your music? Well, the
1: biggest one people probably heard about was Euronymous. And, uh,. I wasn't sure if that was true, because I've always heard that story that he liked our music and that that whole circle liked our music at the time. But, you know, there was no Internet then, so I didn't know if that was true or not. So last uh, March, when I went to New York to do the other enemy show, I met a guy named John Christensen, who's from Norway. And he was, uh, he's kind of like an old school zine, I guess, zine writer. Um, he wrote a book called the, or, uh, it was the Slayer Mag is what it was and he confirmed it because I asked him I said since you were, I mean he's deep friends with Mayhem and all those guys and stuff so I asked him I said is this you know legitimate or what and he was there when it happened and he said Geronimus loved your music and you know he said it was one of the happiest times of his life because they would hang out, listen to music you know just have some drinks, have a good time and it was just kind of surreal because I didn't. I didn't. I kind of chalked it up to Urban Legend. I didn't think that was true, but it kind of makes me feel good to know that it was true.
0: You ever hear any other stories about Euronymous? Or have any contact with him in any way? Or was that all kind Never of like had... just random uh, stories from Kurt and things of that nature? No, and the funny
1: thing was, he always wondered if that stuff was true too. But, you know. The thing about Kurt and the rest of us was we kind of all thought that some of the acclaim we were getting was kind of funny in a way, just because, you know, we're a bunch of guys from Tacoma, who's going to listen to us? It's just, you know, something we did in the 80s, who cares? You know, and years pass, years pass, and the more I think back on it, it's like, okay, I get it now that I'm older, I figured it out, that, you know, the tunes held up and the following, you know, makes sense now to some extent, so you know but at the time we just thought that stuff was all rumors and thought it was a joke but you know if he were around today i think he would find that kind of uh i think he'd be flattered by it to be honest
0: did you ever get to hear if Euronymous had any particular favorites with the album
1: that is a great question i did not hear when i was talking to christensen about this if he had any favorites except that he liked the whole thing i think he might have been partial to the demo though which a lot of people are, the Machine of War demo, because even I'm partial to it. It seems like it had more of a, a raw edge to it, and it was a little slower, which, you know, people would be like, well, faster is better, but being a little slower, it, it seems like it had a better edge to it. So I think, I think that was probably the preferable choice of the demos.
0: Now, also, um, you've had some contact with Abigail, like Yasuyuki Suzuki. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, that, uh, came about when Kurt died. I knew that he was friends with, you know, a, a decent amount of overseas people, you know, who enjoyed the music and stuff. And I was thinking, you know, somebody should let this guy know because with Facebook and, you know, I think MySpace back then, nobody might tell him. It may take months, may take years for him to find out. So I contacted him and let him know what was going on and, uh, we kind of, you know, corresponded for a bit. And as I was trying to figure out my next project, because, you know, when Kurt went, it was kind of like, what do I do? So I was kind of hunting around for things to do. And I uh, guess Yuki approached me with doing a split. It was kind of a, an Abigail enemy split. So they re-recorded some, a couple old enemy songs, and I sang vocals on them. And then the other side was uh, them doing some other enemy songs and Kurt playing guitar on it. So I recorded that, and we made that little split and and it's on my bucket list. I have to get to Japan, and I have to play with this guy because he sounds like a riot and I do have one good story about Yasuyuki second hand, but Kurt told me this one: Him and Scott were at a club in Tacoma, and Abigail was playing so they're they they're pretty lit up they'd had some had some cocktails, perhaps, so they decided to you know, get all rowdy, and they're like, hey, they're playing one of our songs because they're playing an enemy cover, and Kurt and Scott went up there so they could be like, hey, we're going to join in. Well, the door the door guys and the bouncers didn't know who they were, so basically, the guys who made the songs in the first place were denied access to the stage because no one knew who they were, and then they proceeded to, you know, get hammered with Yasuyuki and company and, you know, had a, a merry time of it, but... You know, I have to I have to rectify that and play a show with these guys just to make up for all of it.
0: Damn, man! So also, I guess, thinking back, like during the heyday of Enemy, who were like some of your favorite bands to like share the bill with?
1: Well, the number one, and I was always jealous of this band, and they probably know this because I've talked to them a little bit. The accused, the splatter, the splatterpunk kings of the Northwest. Um... Blaine and company, they were at the top of their game. I've never seen probably anybody so energetic, maybe except for John Garger from Raven. Because Blaine was, they were just, they were so on point and so solid and heavy, energetic. The Moshfits were huge. And they, you know, they had a, a decent amount. They had a ridiculous following back in the day. But those guys were by far my favorite. Um the other one, we played with a local band named Mayhem, no relation. And we played with them a lot of times. Um, the other ones kind of, they all varied, but another uh, good one was Max Plank. It was a three-piece, uh, we had a bass player that was a, a female, and uh, they were also pretty good. But a lot of bands didn't like sharing the bill with us because I think they thought we were, you know, like a lot of people think of Venom, total crap. And, you know, it was just too noisy, too chaotic. It was a little different than some of the stuff they were doing, but, you know, those three for sure were some of our favorites.
0: I can imagine. Now, you were at the Defenders of the Old Show in New York City last year, and now you're hitting the opposite coast in Portland with the Famine Fest. Tell, you, tell me what it will be like playing in Portland versus New York.
1: Well, for one, the commute will be a lot easier for me because it's only about two hours and 15 minutes, so that'll be helpful. Um, other than that... I'm really looking forward to the difference in crowds because I've only played one show in Portland with my other band, Bastard Child, and that's a whole different type of stuff. It's more punk, but I hear that Portland has a ridiculous metal community, and I'm looking forward to that because in New York, the metalheads were ridiculous. I've never seen anything like it, so I'm hoping they bring their A-game because – you know, like I said, New York's crowds were – they were into it. They knew the words. They were just totally moshed and stage-diving, you know, having a good old time. So I'm waiting to see how this works out. But I think it's going to be on par with that one for sure.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, to be honest, though, like at the New York show, I actually saw some people were from California as well as from Virginia. Because I've just – like you meet certain people at festivals and you just keep on seeing those same faces. But, I mean, it's just – there was a real reach that the Defenders show had last year.
1: Oh, yeah, there was... Uh, I talked to a few people from... There's definitely some out-of-towners as far as out of the country. There's a couple of guys. A lot, I think there's a few guys from uh, Norway. I want to say there was a guy from maybe Mexico. But, you know, I, I talked to as many people as I could, and it was amazing. I think some guy from West Virginia, maybe. And uh, so we'll see how far people traveled for this one. This one's a little heavier, though, because you know defenders is more tr- a lot of traditional metal not as much black metal but this one's uh you know pretty much made for the black metal hardcore you know slash fan for sure
0: yeah like so- something that really attracted me to portland is just like it's such a real haven for the black metal community and uh there's a real level of support you'll see there too
1: well it's you know, it's probably because our climates are the same yeah. we're all depressed because it's always dark and it's always raining so you got to channel that stuff in some way.
0: Now, can you tell me the lineup? The, who you're going to be sharing the stage with? Like, I'm talking about like the guitarist, bassist, drummer. Who's going to be filling out the rest of the band with you for Unholy Death?
1: Well, for this one, we've got Dylan and Seth from the Necrodrunks. So they're pretty much the Portland's answer to pretty much every filthy band you've ever heard of times twenty. I mean, they're they're fast, they're heavy, they're ridiculous. And then the third member is Ray, who plays in Cemetery Less with Dylan and Seth. Also, so you know, we uh, I drove up there last week. We had a really awesome practice. We went through the set a couple of times, and it was pretty flawless as you want it to be. I mean, that, that's the one thing about the Defenders show is some people complained said, "Oh, well, it was too clean for enemy." And I'm like, "What are you talking about? How is that a how is that a complaint?" So. I think this is going to be tight, Um, and, you know, these guys love heavy music. They're almost like mirror images of the guys in New York, because they love it heavy, so they're ready to roll.
0: Now, um, I guess thinking about the recording of the Unholy Death album, what was it like just being able to be in the studio with, like, Kurt and everybody?
1: Well, I was, uh, I want to say I was 17 when that happened. Because I had to have my parents sign the release for the, the album contract. And it was a little strip mall in a town called Federal Way. It does not exist anymore. There's a Best Buy where that used to be. And it was a place called uh, John Agostino Studios, who also doesn't, I don't think he has a studio anymore. But um, we did the demo there, and then we ended up coming back to an album. And it was very odd, because we, we did record everything simultaneously and I just assume that's the way everybody did it since then. I found out later, obviously, you don't, but I think that's what attributed to a lot of the, uh, there's a lot of mess-ups on there, from for my end at least, but it it's definitely what gave it the raw feel that it had, was, you know, we didn't do a ton of takes. You know, we did a few, if it was a major mess-up, those are all outtakes from the album, but um, definitely playing all together at the same time helped a lot, because we're on a budget, you know, and, People always say, oh, well, it sounded like it was recorded in a bathroom or a gymnasium. And it's like, no, it was recorded in a studio, but it was done kind of quick. So I think it was maybe maybe a weekend, perhaps, I think, something like
0: that. Damn. So, like, tell me, what are your three favorite songs from that album? That's pretty easy.
1: Acid Rain is my favorite. Um, I like the demo version better because it was a little slower. And we're going to be doing it slower. That that type of version uh, for the show, and then Lethal Dose and Warrior, the Mad Max song, which I like that one because it's really the only one that's fairly slow. Kind of gives me a really good chance to bite into some lyrics and you know kind of be a little more sinister, I guess. But yeah, those three.
0: Now, tell me, I guess, what musical projects you've been working on in recent days. Besides, obviously, the unholy death thing. Well,
1: i've I've been working. I've been working on with a band called Bastard Child for geez, probably going on ten years now. We just finished making our new album, which I cannot tell you the title because it is extremely filthy. It's uh, it's punk, it's metal, it's semi-comedy. I mean, a lot of the lyrics are just hilarious. But uh, we've been we finished that one up in the summer. And now we're trying to, we're getting it mixed, mastered, and are in the process of getting a new bass player. Our bass player has retired, so we have to find a new one. And so that's kind of like the next thing on my, on my docket of things to do. And then I worked on a um, guest track with a band called Grayskull. Uh, Brian Varney had that uh, project going, and the, the song is called The Summoned Ones. And that one is in your face, super fast thrash. And he's actually having somebody from uh, King Diamond uh, master that, I believe. So, well, as soon as he gets that finished up, that'll be coming out. And pretty much just uh, waiting to see what the next thing will be, because uh, I want to try and get out there and get as much material done as I can. You know, whether it's with Bastard Child or pretty much you know any good band that wants uh, wants a little extra <clears throat> in their songs, you know.
0: Now you're still pretty much located in Seattle now, correct?
1: Yeah, probably about 45 minutes away, yeah. I grew up I grew up in this area, so I've never moved very much from this state.
0: So, guys, what do you like about Seattle, just, like, living there in terms of, like, the venues, like, the music-type stores and, like, the general crowd
1: for, well, like, the metal community? It is a it's a far cry from what it used to be, I'll tell you that. Um, the only reason... <laughs> cause You know, people will hear about the Seattle boom and all this. It's true because most of the venues I grew up with in the 80s and 90s are gone. They've been gone for a long time. There's only pretty much maybe two big venues for the, you know, the smaller bands like the Saxons and Ravens and stuff and some of the underground bands. But a lot of these venues, they they pop up and they disappear fairly quick because the real estate in Seattle is so valuable that they don't want to use it for clubs. Um, but when we do have shows that are, you know, good shows, crowds will come for sure. But to be honest, I prefer Portland. It it's kept its indie edge that I like. Um with businesses, with crowds, people are into the shows, there's a, a lot of little tiny shows to go to. So, you know, I imagine one day I'll probably end up over there. Who knows when? I mean, maybe when I retire or something, but I'll still be doing metal either way, so it ain't gonna matter. But uh yeah, it was just it's a different vibe than it used to be just because everything's so developed now, it's really hard to get a good venue and have it stick.
0: Yeah, like one of the things that really impressed me about Portland was not only just like the Famine Fest show, but like there was a house party show or like a house show like the day after Famine Fest, and it was a fairly decently uh, attended show, and it was just like, wow, I-, I can't believe something of that level can thrive too in a place like Portland as well.
1: I love a good house party. I mean, with Bastard Child, we do a lot of that sort of thing. We didn't do so much with Enemy. I think maybe we did one or two. But, uh, yeah, metal house parties are are the best, really. I mean, because there's the only one place I know of in our area that does that sort of thing in, in Tacoma, which is basically where I'm at. I'm like five minutes away. It's called a bomb shelter, and they do a lot of, you know, house party-esque shows, because it is a house, and, you know, they do the shows there, and, they're uh, pretty cool, so that one if you're coming through town, that's a good one to look for. They're more punk, though.
0: Now, by the way, can you throw out some uh, real crazy and maybe a bit extreme but obscure horror movies for uh, the horror movie fanatics out there?
1: Well, I've seen a lot of stuff, because I grew up in the 70s and my sister was forced to take me to the drive-in when I was a kid. She would take my mom's money for babysitting, and Take as the driving because it was one price for all the cars. So I've I've been watching a lot of stuff all my life. I like the sleazier kind of 70s esque kind of vibe, you know, not overproduced, but probably uh, I think recently one of the good ones was uh, I saw it at the film fest this year. It's called Shrew's Nest. It's from Spain. A lot of the good stuffs coming out of Spain. A lot of the extreme, you know, horror with the kind of the bloody sort of stuff like Inside and stuff like that, but True's Nest was good. Um, I'm a big fan of another French movie called Calvaire, which is disturbing. People will not like it because it's very, it's off-putting. It's one of those things you'll watch it and you'll just be like, I don't feel right watching this. I don't think my wife liked it much either because it's just really unsettling. Um, the Witch Who Came From the Sea, that one was made in the 70s, and that one's another, I, I call them, my, me and my best buddy, we call it controversial ruffians. They're movies that are just, they're not right. And if you try to uh, put the mainstream public onto them, they're they're probably going to turn on you and think something's wrong with you. But that one's one of those. Um, I saw The Devil. That's another good one. It's a, I think it's a Korean horror movie. That's pretty good. And uh, probably, you know, a lot of the the old classics. Another good smash one is Time Crimes that I like a lot. It's kind of a time travel murder horror movie. Really good one, and if you want to see something really, really messed up, all you have to do is say the name Takashi Miike because he's made audition, he's made Dead or Alive, but my favorite, one of my favorites from him, is called Gozu. It's it's just a weird, surrealistic. I don't even know. I mean, it's one of the things you need to watch it to figure out what's happening, but it is a weird one for sure. Those are a few of the ones I'm into.
0: Now, Brian, would you care to go back to any questions?
1: No, no, I think, uh, I think we're, we're pretty good and caught up with all this stuff. I just think that, uh, you know, I think people need to keep this type of music going because, you know, thinking about the bands like Sodom, Destruction, you know, Overkill, all the, all the good old classics, they're all going away. They're getting older. They're retiring. They're dying off. I mean, Lemmy just died. It's, it's horrible, but who's going to step up and take, take the reins? And become you know the next you know I guess metal god, so to speak and i don't i don't know if how this is going to happen, but it can't be all the stuff that's on the radio we've got to get some you know hardcore thrash going, get some good you know good good guys to replace destructions and sodoms of the world
0: yeah, I mean um it's just the the climate for metal is not as fruitful in America as it is in europe i mean it's just like. Everybody's like, "Oh, if you're like an up-incoming American metal band, it's like you have to go to Europe or go to Asia because that's oh, yeah. where the money I mean, is." Just because there's no money in America, if you're a metal no, band. No, I mean,
1: I don't. I've made a few bucks, but I mean, probably the biggest pay I ever made was getting to fly to New York. That was my my dream. But I know what you mean. The money's not there, but you know, a lot of us don't do it for the money. We do it because we want to make something cool. We love doing it. But, you know, obviously to get bands like Destruction, Sodom, and, you know, those guys, you're going to have to, somebody's got to be able to make some money to do this. So I imagine they're probably going to have to make it in Europe, and then that stuff's going to have to bleed over here and, you know, get word of mouth going. But it's definitely going to be hard because all the classic bands are starting to starting to go, even, you know, Jewish Priest, Iron Maiden, kind of more mainstream metal, those guys aren't going to be probably around too much longer either. So it makes me worry for sure.
0: Final words, bro.
1: Final words. Well, I can tell you this much. I'm not going anywhere. If you like Enemy, if you like that sort of stuff, I'm going to keep doing it. You know, and these guys in Portland are my brothers. They're the best. My guys in New York, they're the best. They're my brothers too. You know, I'm hoping... I can keep doing this stuff. If somebody says, hey, we want to do a show in Mississippi, we got a band that's going to back you up. I'll go to Mississippi and I'll do it. So, I'm going to keep the metal alive. I'm 47 years old. I'm going to keep doing this until I'm dead. So, I think everybody should stay heavy and stay,
0: hard, yeah! Thanks so much, bro. And tell me about the Famine Fest show. Like, what's... Famine
1: Fest is going to be just ridiculous. I mean, there's... Each day you've probably got about a good ten or twelve bands. Um, like the night I'm playing we've got Cotterized, Fiend, Garotting Deep. you uh, you got All Rock, Reeker, Raptor. Um, the one I'm looking forward to probably is gonna be sadistic intent, but Ace Phallic is the one I'm looking forward to. They're on right before us and they've got some good high energy going on and I'm a little worried. I I cannot lie. I'm gonna to have to probably step my game up a bit because they've got a lot of energy. So I'm really gonna to have to be on the game. It's not a competition, but I'm bringing it. So, and then there's I think it's called it's pronounced Icebra. Um Those guys are gonna be playing, and uh, Sem Sem Eternal Dusk, Sem eternal Dusk, I think it's called. But yeah, there's like you know ten bands right there, and you know the next day is another solid lineup like that. So if you're in a hardcore, you know death, black metal. You'd pretty much be foolish if you're in town not to see it because, I mean, it's going to be the show of the year for sure. This is Brian Lapitan, singer for Enemy, and you are listening to Japan Knicks Rock and Metal Pandemonium.
0: Awesome, man. I hope you have a badass time in Portland at the Famine Fest. Good luck, bro.
1: Thank you very much, and I'll be seeing you next time I come to New York.
0: Much appreciated. It was killer last year. Be safe, man. Oh, I loved it. It
1: was the best. Good talking to you, buddy. Adios.